You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam. Uh, with me, uh, Walid Ahmed and Imam Tawki Tabir and uh, Imam Fareed Ahmed. Uh, the time is uh, 3 minutes past 7 and the date is the 14th of October 2022. As always, we have a packed program this morning uh, at the Breakfast Show. Uh, it's an interactive broadcast. It means all our listeners have the opportunity to join in in any of the discussions taking place during the course of the program. All you need to do is pick up the phone, dial 0208-687-7878, and share your thoughts with us. You'll be put through, hopefully, by our uh, intrepid uh, technician, uh, Muhammad Shafiq. Uh, alternatively, uh, you can uh, use a more modern method of uh, tweeting uh, and uh, to uh, contact us through that method, the uh, Twitter handle you need to use is Voice of Islam UK. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, diff- a number of different stories that we'll be exploring this morning. Uh, in a few minutes' time, uh, we'll also be having the uh, rundown of the weather uh, before going on to examine some of the uh, news items that are circulating in the uh, media nowadays. Uh, we won't be spending too much time on each, but uh, trying, we'll try to rattle through as many as possible through the first half hour. Uh, and uh, as always, uh, you can join in and share your thoughts with us. Uh, the number, let me just give that again, is 0208-687-7878. Uh, uh, and as I said, you can uh, uh, contact us by tweeting. Uh, Voice of Islam UK is the, is the Twitter handle. Now, uh, those familiar with the show would know that... Um, we normally pick two topics that uh, we focus our attention on and spend um, some time on. Uh, this uh, um, uh, program will deal with um, the first of its uh, main items. Uh, it's about charity and raising of funds uh, for charity. Uh, so the title of this particular topic that we'll be addressing uh, just after uh, 7.25, thereabouts, is uh, entitled Mosque Helps Raise Money for Village Church. Uh, and we'll be reviewing this topic with uh, young uh, Sayyid Rayan Ahmed, a 13-year-old student who took part in the charity run. Uh, that was uh, what uh, was involved in the raising of money uh, for this ch- uh, for the village church, and then uh, for this sort, we'll be joined by Neil Fair- Fairlamb, who is at the other end of the age spectrum, not quite 13 year old, uh, but 72 year old uh, in age, and he's a resident Anglican priest at All Saints in Tilford. And while we're talking uh, to Neil, we'll also be taking in the views of Charlotte Matthias, who's a treasurer at the uh, at the All Saints in Tilford, uh, and she was also the organizer or one of the organizers of the fundraising event uh, with the Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association. Uh, in the course of this segment, uh, we shall also uh, be bringing in Leila Balabi. Now, I understand we spoke to her earlier, um, so uh, she is. Uh, the secretary um, 
in France, Ahmadiyya 
during which he spoke about Islam's emphasis and focus on establishing peace within society, while it's also urging world leaders, public figures and all members of the public to play their respective roles in establishing peace in the world. And speaking on the purpose of building mosques, His Holiness, he said that the principal objectives underlying and any mosque built by our community are always the same. Firstly, our mosque serves as a place for all members to uh, congregate to fulfill their religious duties of worshipping God Almighty. And secondly, our mosque enables us to serve God's creation and to propagate Islam's teachings. And in reference to the verse of the Holy Quran, His Holiness went on to highlight Islam's emphasis on peace and mentioned that the allegation that Islam promotes extremism and violence could not be further from the truth. And His Holiness said that, and I quote, that the Kaaba was founded and built on the instructions of Allah the Almighty to convey a universal message of peace and security for people from all walks of life and nations. While its mosques are built to face the Kaaba, it is not just in terms of physical direction that they should follow the Kaaba, rather every mosque and those who worship within them must strive to emulate and faithfully represent the objectives of the sacred house. Furthermore, His Holiness added that alongside worshipping Allah, the key other key objective of the Kaaba and therefore of every mosque is to be home to those people who are open-hearted, gracious, benevolent, and who convey a message of peace, recon- reconciliation, and goodwill for all mankind through their words and deeds. Um, so, I mean, it's a very beautiful address, and it goes in line with our first topic as well, that uh, a mosque helps raise money for religious church. As as His Holiness mentioned, that not only is this place a a house of worship, but at the same time, it should also be a means of helping the creation of God Almighty. I mean, as we know from the this Bethel Fatu complex, the House of Victories, there are various programs which which are held, blood drives, um, you know, peace symposium. Various programs are held, not only for the community but for for the wider public in general. And uh, this is what His Holiness is highlighting here: that not only should the mosque itself should serve as a means. Um, for the worshippers but also for a community at large it is open to everyone and this is what we find in the example of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him as well when the when uh, the people of Najran who were Christians came to meet the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and noting that it was time for their prayer his uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him very graciously said that well you can use our own mosque and you sh- you can go there and pray yourself and uh, this is exactly what they did. The Christian community then used that mosque and they prayed in there. Um, so the mosques are open for everyone to use, uh, regardless of their faith. Um, and not only does it serve as a means for the worshippers who, who come there, but also for the community at large. Mm, thank you for that. Right, um, I suppose no guessing what the main story is. Uh, it's about uh, the Chancellor and the... Uh, Prime Minister trying to uh, save face or save their jobs. Um, 
there is a U-turn expected, uh, but uh, we'll leave that till later if we have time. I suppose the other uh, story that is also featuring in the wider media is regarding the king's coronation. It's something that we covered briefly last time as well. Well, the date uh, for the event has been finalized. It's the 6th of May next year. Uh, it's a Saturday, and it's not the 3rd of June, as once feared in certain quarters. Uh, the 6th, 3rd of June uh, is the day of the Africa final. So that uh, mostly has uh, been left as it is, and it will be uh, the 6th of May when the king will be crowned. Uh, some are asking for the early May bank holiday to be delayed to the 8th of May. Uh, Tory MP from Clivid uh, West said it would make a very special memory for all of us. Uh, so that's uh, uh, David Jones. Uh, now, the king will be crowned uh, with his current wife, Camilla, beside him. We shall be crowned as queen in a similar but uh, a simpler ceremony. Uh, it's a remarkably well choreographed transition uh, for a lady who was much vilified for her involvement in the breakup of the marriage of Charles and Diana and has now been carefully rehabilitated in the affections of the public. The other controversy is uh, that the said queen's crown contains the Kohinoor, the diamond uh, taken by uh, the British India Company after the Anglo-Sikh wars and then presented to Queen Victoria in 1850. Uh, there are calls for it uh, to be uh, returned. But to who? Uh, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan? Uh, all they claim to it. Uh, a spokesman from the BJP, that's the uh, ruling India, uh, the ruling party in India, said the coronation of Camilla and the use of the crown jewel Kohenu brings back painful memories of the colonial past. Uh, perhaps a different crown uh, would be used for Camilla. At least that's one thought and that's one um, uh, opinion that is being uh, forwarded. Uh, the other um, story, I suppose, is regarding um, the antics of activists. Now, um, this is uh, the news that uh, vegan activists, vegans are those who abstain from consuming all animal products. It includes milks and, uh, milk and eggs as well. Uh, well, a group of vegan activists uh, from the Animal Rebellion Group uh, took matters a step further rather than just protesting. Uh, they walked into branches of Selfridges and Fortnum and Mason and allegedly took milk from the shelves and poured it over cheese, over a cheese display. Not only this, but they vandalized, allegedly, hunting shops uh, with paint and a total of 27 people were arrested in connection with these uh, kinds of uh, protests uh, orchestrated by the Animal Rebellion Group with some being charged with theft and criminal damage. Now, I suppose, um, you know, from an Islamic point of view, the, the uh, refrain, no compulsion in matters of faith like Rafid Deen would, uh, would apply. Um, you know, believe what you want, but uh, don't force or impose uh, your views and others in uh, this kind of manner. And a similar refrain uh, should also apply to eco-protesters. Now, these protesters are ones that uh, grew themselves on roads in order to make the point of view known. Uh, protests began on Tuesday earlier this week uh, by eco-protesters in London uh, when just stop oil protesters sat down 
or glued themselves on the A4. Uh, this is the junction between Knightsbridge and Brompton, uh, Brompton Road. Uh, and it led to traffic chaos. Uh, this was the group's 11th successive day of protest. Um, and I suppose um, one view that could be uh, tabled is this, that the, to march in crowds with ba- banners and megaphones making a point of view known is one thing but to do so in a manner that disrupts others going about their lawful everyday business does not seem to be acceptable and uh, one would say is contrary to Islamic teachings, uh, at least many would say. Uh, there is um, this verse in the Holy Quran that is found uh, in the second chapter of the Holy Quran about uh, causing disorder in the uh, uh, earth, admonition, uh, admonition against it. So that would apply there. This is certainly causing disorder. Uh, but defenders of these protests from an Islamic point of view could well argue uh, that they can find refuge in that saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he said the greatest sick, uh, the greatest uh, struggle, jihad in other words, is to speak the truth in front of a tyrannical ruler. Um, difficult to apply in a democracy where you have, you can have your say regularly through elections uh, and rule is by popular consent. So hardly um, the condition where you are uh, imposed upon by, by a tyrannical ruler uh, so it's a difficult um, argument to make. Again, uh, the, the Quran clearly speaks for standing up uh, for tyranny and for the safety and sanctity of one's fellow man. But again, it has to be done without causing disorder. The main argument made by such eco-protesters is that something dramatic needs to be done due to the urgency of the situation. This, they basically contend that the situation is such that it demands such kind of uh, action. Um, and they say that uh, um, if this is not uh, uh, taken seriously, what they are trying to alert the governments to, then uh, environmental catastrophes waiting humanity, uh, especially if it doesn't change course when it comes to fossil fuels and the like. Um, a, a short few hours of inconvenience, they argue, is well worth the effort if it results in a decided change of course by our governments in this area. But the counter-argument is that there are levers within the existing system to allow us to make a point. If one does, uh, if, one, if one has a point, if one has um, a certain view that needs to be taken seriously, then those uh, levers that already exist uh, should uh, be utilized in order to bring about the change required. I don't know what our listeners think, but if they have a view, then please do uh, make it known to us. You can do that by ringing in 0208-687-7878 is the number. Um, and uh, uh, if there is anything else that you want to discuss, then please also um, uh, ring in and we can share your thoughts uh, with um, with. Uh, with the rest of the uh, rest of the listeners, um, one more story before we uh, go on. Um, it's basically the nonsense of war. Um, there is a lot of uh, difficulty that the global community is going through uh, with inflation and with cuts, um, and uh, this is also the case with uh, the UK. Um, and uh, um, there can be apparently 40 billion pounds of cuts that can be generated from the defence budget. 
which the government is seeking to increase by 50%, uh, it would be loath to eliminate this in view of its commitment to the Ukraine. So that's the government position. But some people are arguing that this is a ludicrous stand to take. At a time when the economy is crashing, why why are we so bent in funding a war uh, in Ukraine that has little, I mean, that's why there is such an increase in the budget, in defense budget, that has little, that Ukraine has little chance of winning. So much better to resolve the conflict through peaceful means. At the heart of the conflict are the security concerns of Russia. It claims that it needs a guarantee that Ukraine will not join NATO, whereby U.S. military uh, will be able to station its arsenal against it. Not an unreasonable position to uh, to take, many would argue. And if some compromise can be found to cater for the larger Russian-speaking population in the four annex uh, uh, regions, then more, I'm sure, can be achieved. Um, so this is um, um, the... Um, the the uh, view that um, some people are taking. Uh, but it is unfortunate that the momentum for war is too strong and some commentators argue that this is deliberate in order to fund the profits of the military-industrial complex who make billions from the sale of arms. Another controversial subject, if you have a view, then do please uh, uh, contact us and let us know. Well, we, we have to move on to uh, considering our first main uh, topic, uh, now uh, it's regarding uh, the uh, money that is raised for the village church by the Mubarak by uh, yes the Mubarak Mosque uh, in conjunction with the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. Uh, the uh, mosque raised thousands of pounds and put smiles on faces by helping to save a village church. Uh, All Saints Church in Tilford was uh, deemed unsafe when part of its ceiling collapsed in October 2021. It needed £110,000 for restoration work. We'll be talking, I hope, very uh, soon uh, with uh, Ahmed, uh, Sayyid Ahmed, Sayyid Ryan Ahmed Safir, uh, who took a part in that charity run, and I'm sure uh, our uh, technician engineer uh, Muhammad Shafiq is uh, is uh, dialing that uh, numbers so that we can talk to him. So uh, while we're waiting, a charity run. This was in the form of a charity run. That's how the money was raised. By it was hosted by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth uh, Association uh, uh, in the uh, Mubarak Mosque area, and uh, they helped raise uh, the the funds for the repairs that were needed. Imam Sabah Ahmadi uh, said projects like this uh, could help build bridges. The interfaith event um, on 25th uh, September invited residents and churchgoers um, and, um, and churchgoers to take part in a 5K uh, or 10K run on uh, Tilford Village Green. Right, um, uh, Sayyid Riyan Ahmad is with us. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Riyan, how are you? No, it's a pleasure. Uh, what uh, year are you in in at school? I know you're 13 years of age. Uh, I'm 13 years old. Um, I just moved into year nine. Okay, and what's your favorite subject? Uh, I I enjoy PE a lot because I like running. I like doing sports, but oh, I also okay. enjoy geography. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and uh, we're talking about uh, what you did for helping to raise money for this uh, church. 
Um, how did you start uh, f- uh, fundraising for the first time? Because this is not the only occasion that you've raised money for charity. You've done it uh, before as well. Uh, no, it's my first time. Uh, I heard about that there was a run going on in Tilford to raise money for a roof in a local church. So ah. I thought it was going to a good cause. Right. So I thought I should run. So I started up a fundraiser page and sent it to all my friends and family. Uh-huh. And how much were you able to raise? Uh, at first, I set the target to 150. Mm-hmm. And alhamdulillah, it went past that straight away. And it went all the way up to £325. Pounds. Okay. I was really happy. And and um, uh, you have done this before, this kind of thing, haven't you? It raised money for charity, doing s- s- runs this like this? This was my first fundraiser. Was it? Okay, right, okay. Um, I've got a very important person with me, all right, Imam Tokir. He's going to ask you some questions, but is that okay? That's all right. Right. Yeah. Asalaamu Alaikum, Ryan. Hope, you, hope you're doing well this morning. Um, it sounds like you, you've uh, you've done a great job, uh, mashallah. You've done really well. Um, I want to ask, what was the reaction of your friends and family um, after taking part in this? Um, my friends and family, they were really happy when I came home. I was really happy to see that how much money I raised as well. And my family was really happy. And my uncle even made a deal with me. If uh, I got, I completed the run under 30 minutes, he doubled the money. So my family was really happy and they were all encouraging me. Alhamdulillah. And did you did you manage to also meet that target? Yeah, Alhamdulillah, I got under 30 minutes. Oh, so you, uh, you you got doubled doubled the the money then, and it all went yeah. to charity. Yeah, that's very good, fantastic. And uh, how were you able to achieve this? And how did you feel? I I was really happy. That I completed it. I, I did because the run was a lot harder than I thought. It was uphill and it was all hilly. So I was really happy that I completed the run, and I was also really happy that I reached the goal. And all that money was raised since it was going to a really good course. Great, thank you so much, uh, Ryan. And just before we do let you go as well, one very important question uh, I wanted to ask you is that: What do you think, as a Amdi Muslim, um, of the importance uh, for us to do char for us to do charity, and uh, for us to take part in these charity walks? Uh, yes. It's really important for us to take part in charity walks and things like these because in Islam we believe we should always help our neighbours no matter their background or their ethnicity. So and the a church is also a place of worship. So it's going to a really good cause and it's gonna help a lot of people. So that's why it's helpful to raise money for Great thing. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan Ahmed. Um a great uh, achievement from your side and uh, do keep up the good work so that was Ryan and uh, Ryan uh, he took part in this charity run um, not only took part but also he raised uh, a, lot, a lot of lot of uh, funds for for the for the poor so uh, well done to Ryan okay Right, uh, moving on, uh, just to mention uh, something more about this particular event. Um, um, the um, 
Mr. Amadi, one of the uh, Britain's youngest imams, I'm sure you're younger than him. <laughs> okay. uh, not, not according to the not to according the statement. To this report, yes. Not okay. <laughs> uh, just because it's in print, it doesn't mean it's right. Anyway, um, he said it's a fundamental obligation on all Muslims to help their neighbours, regardless of the background. So something that Rayan was saying, wasn't it? Initiatives like this help to build bridges, very important, and put smiles on faces, especially in the challenging circumstances. Uh, work on the 150-year-old uh, great uh, two-listed church has to be completed by a heritage expert uh, uh, able to work with traditional lime plaster. Uh, church treasurer uh, Charlotte Mathias, we'll be speaking to her in a few minutes, uh, said raising the funds had been uh, a daunting task, and she added, I hope this occasion will give us the opportunity to shine a light on how religious harmony can bring people together. Uh, Amdiya Muslim Youth Association helped organize the event as part of its Mercy for Mankind initiative. Uh, Lukman Bajwa is the lead organizer, uh, lead organizer of this uh, particular charity, Mercy, Mercy for Mankind, and uh, and uh, organizer of such events. And he said that this is something unique and special. Helping to rebuild a church for us as Muslims is something that is motivated by the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him who instructed Muslims to protect all places of worship, to see the local church back to its full glory will be very rewarding for us all. Right, uh, we are going to be waiting for um, uh, both Neil Fairlamp and Charlotte uh, Matthias to be put through. They are representatives of uh, the, uh, the, the church that was involved, the All Saints in Tilford, um, uh, Neil Fairland is the uh, uh, Anglican priest and uh, Charlotte uh, Matthias is the treasurer of uh, the aforementioned church. So uh, we're waiting for that and why are we waiting? You can mention something about uh, the Islamic angle? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you can see from uh, listening to our listener uh, Brother Sayyid Ryan Ahmed, who is only 13 years of age, but you can see that from a very young age, um, you know, within the Ahmadi Muslim community, children are instilled that uh, they should look after the uh, the vulnerable people of the society as well, um, and where you know where, where they do need help, even in terms of raising money for a church. Then, uh, as a Muslim, it is our duty to do so. Um, as this is this is the main fundamentals of the Sharia, uh, as explained by the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, as he explains that the first main aspect of the Sharia is that you should give due rights towards God Almighty, Hakukullah, and the second is that you should give due rights to His creation, Hakukulibad, um, and th- this is part and parcel really of uh, helping our brothers and sisters. Uh, of of the society, and there's there's another narration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him where he says that we should help our neighbors. Uh, to the fact that he says that even if you were to cook a meal broth, which is a Arabic dish, he says that put extra water in there, so you can make more of it and give it to your neighbor, regardless of the fact that who your neighbor is, where where the the person is of a different faith, you should look after your neighbors. And this itself is a great way of uh, how we can look after our neighbors and 
uh, I think the MDM Muslim Youth Association they've done a fantastic job in uh, raising so many funds for the restoration of this village church um, but we'll, we'll discuss more of the Islamic perspective on this but I do believe that we are joined by our first guest, so Brother Vadir Yes, so we have both, uh, I, I assume that we've got uh, both Charlotte Messiahs and Neil Phelan, Phelan with us. Um, yeah. Good morning. Morning. Yes, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, um, is Charlotte with you? I just have a, a couple of questions for her, if you don't mind. Charlotte? Okay. Um, perhaps Charlotte's not with you. It's just just Neil, uh, it's just um, Reverend Neil with us. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, now, uh, I, I, may I just say that I was so pleased to take part in the in the sponsored event, and, and I I did the ten kilometer uh, run, although mm-hmm. I actually walked it. And one of the one of the advantages of walking it was that I talked to all your young men who were marshals on the route. Okay, uh, right. uh, 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 and was very impressed that they'd come from Slough, from 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 North London. Uh, some of them were imams in training at Hazelmere. Uh, I I talked to uh, all the marshals, and I thought they were a, s- a splendid group of young young men mm. who were giving their time, uh, you know, giving their whole day for this. And yeah. I was very impressed by them. Good, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, when uh, the Ahmadiyya um, Muslim Youth Association first approached you, I mean, what was your reaction? Well, I've, I've been in Till for three years, so I've got to know quite a few members of the community. Uh, and we have done events together and services together and interfaith things together. And I knew from the lockdown period in COVID how your youth association organized, you know, food deliveries, prescription runs, driving people who were otherwise going to be isolated. So, and we built up lots of connections over the time, um, together with, uh, before COVID and then now after it, I have been able to visit the mosque quite frequently for the prayers, and I've always been very welcome there. And I see, of course, how faith and community action go together. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, are there any examples of this from Christian traditions? This of uh, well, philanthropy. Well, yes. I mean, we have this. We have this word philanthropy, and and I, I think philanthropy is is different from charity. I mean, charity is helping your neighbour. There's an emergency. You, you give money. Uh, philanthropy um, is more long term. I think philanthropy is 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 about projects. Is is you know, it's not just emptying, you know, it's not just giving a, don- a one-off donation. It's something more long-term, and it's something coordinated. And mm. philanthropy is, is, is a very precious word. It's two Greek words, you know, philo, I love, uh, anthropy, anthropos, man. Uh. So it's, it's based on the, love of, uh, on the love of your brother, man, okay. and woman. Um, and um, charity is okay, of course, and essential when there's a crisis, but philanthropy is more long-term. And uh, it's obvious from Islamabad's presence in Tilford since 1984, when you had your Jalfasana, and now you, you have your headquarters there, that you are here for the long term. Mm, mm. And, 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 and so that this, this is not a one-off thing that happens. This is something that's bedded into your, 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 your religion, your faith. Um, we, have, we have tithing in Christianity, of course, um, giving a tenth. 
uh, how that interprets today. You know, is it a tenth of your gross income, a tenth of your net income? Um, but tithing, which is a biblical principle we share with, with, with the Jewish and the, and the Muslim faiths, mm. is, is something that we need, we need to address. Mm. Um, we, and of course, it isn't only money, it is time, and ti- it is time as well. You know, if you, if you can give a tenth of your time as well as, as, well as a tenth of your income, you're on the right lines. Mm. Um, so I think we, we, we are fortunate as the, as the religions of Abraham, um, a, a Jew, Christian, and Muslim, to share this mm. common obligation mm. to our, our, our mutual society. But I have to say that it's, um, it's your youth association that's really embraced this, uh, taken the initiative, and done a, a, a beautiful thing uh, in oh. Tilford. Oh, and I'm it's glad, and, and, it's, and it's been and it's been widely reported. Um, I hope I hope you've got all the see in the church press, the Church of England newspaper, the Church Times. It was written up. Um, it's it's created quite an impression. Hmm. Um, and has it resolved your, the the issue, the specific issue here about the repairs that needed to be done? Oh yes, yes. I mean, uh, we uh, the, the ceiling collapsed. Um, the insurance. Um, the church is insured, of course, but against things like fire and flood and all the rest of it, it, it doesn't insure against wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a 150-year-old building, if the plaster collapses, insurers get out of that by saying that's wear and tear. We don't cover that. So the total cost of 110 or so thousand pounds had to be found from uh, church members, from community people who don't attend church but like to see the church there. Um, and obviously people rally to something like that, but there was a considerable shortfall in paying the bills. Right. And that's when, that's when, um, you became, you became, uh, your youth association became the icing on the cake, you know, I mean, became, became, um, a really wonderful thing when you have so many commitments within your own community uh, here and, and around the world to find, find an opportunity to help this little village of Tilford, uh, only a thousand people or so, um, but to, you know, small is beautiful. You, it was a beautiful thing you did for us. Yeah. And, it, and it will say, and it says a lot, and it, it, it's been reported widely yeah. uh, among, in the Christian press, yeah. and I think will make a tremendously uh, good impression of what the Ahmadis uh, do for us. Well, thanks very much. And what we can and what we can do together. I mean, we there's a there's a women's group um, that meets Christian Muslim mm-hmm. women together, um, exploring things like Mary and the Quran, Mary and the Bible. Uh, there's so much we need to know and learn and share with each other. Thanks very much, uh, Reverend. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, I'm Not glad. At all. I, 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 I hope Charlotte has connected. <laughs> yes, I mean uh, we will try. Uh, apparently, there's some some problem in uh, in uh, getting a connection, but uh, okay. we keep on trying, and uh, uh, right. if we get her, that'll be it'll be good. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad uh, that uh, your issue has been resolved, and I hope that uh, the relations that have been forged between the community uh, will continue to grow in the future as well. So do I, indeed. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Inshallah. Right. Um, thank you. Bye-bye. Right, um, we're still waiting for Charlotte. Um, um, what else, um, Imam Tafib, uh, anything you want to add? Yes. We, uh, we can listen to a, a clip if necessary. 
Yes, uh, yes. Uh, if this, uh, I was just going to say um, that it was very good uh, listening to uh, Reverend Neil uh, Farlam, and you know, is very good to hear that, uh, uh, especially the church now has been restored um, as to, or, or you know, they've managed to raise funds uh, which they needed to, and as as we were mentioning earlier, that this is itself. Um, part and parcel of uh, with the teachings of the Amdiya Muslim community as well as I was mentioning earlier the narration at the time of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that a group uh, of Christians from Najran that they had came to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him um, and as it was time for their prayer you know the Holy Prophet peace be upon him very graciously uh, gave his own mosque that they should go there and pray so uh, you know, as 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 a Muslim, it is our duty to help one another, and this itself is the teachings of of Islam. And since its foundation, the Amdiya Muslim community has always sought to be on the very front lines of serving humanity, whether it be directly through our own community schemes or through humanity first, or through the support of other charities and good causes. For example, over the past few decades, the Amdiya Muslim community has opened many hospitals and schools across Africa in which the local people are provided access to healthcare and excellent education, irrespective of their ethnicity, religion or social background. And our motivation and our desire to serve others is driven entirely by the teachings of Islam, the guiding light for any true Muslim in is the Holy Quran, which was revealed to Islam's founder, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Time and again, the Holy Quran has instructed Muslims to serve mankind and to fulfill the needs of those who are suffering or are deprived in any way. And it requires Muslims to be selfless and consumed by a by love for others. It requires us to be ver- ever ready to make sacrifices for the sake of peace and well-being of other people. And Azam Azam Suramat, head of the Amdiya Muslim community, he himself, he quotes that the humanitarian work conducted by the Amdiya Muslim community is rendered entirely selflessly and without any desire for worldly reward. And this is not only because it is a basic moral obligation to help others, but also due to the fact that serving humanity is an essential part of our faith as Muslims. Furthermore, His uh, His Holiness, at another address, he says that, uh, he quotes that Hazrat Mirza Ghulam, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim he himself, he has said that to love and care for all of mankind is a very great form of worship and it is a wonderful means of attaining the pleasure of Allah the Almighty. And repeatedly the Holy Quran has instructed Muslims to help and aid those who are vulnerable or in need, irrespective of their caste, creed or colour. And furthermore, there are countless traditions and sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that illustrate how he spent his entire life serving mankind and striving to inculcate the same spirit of sympathy for others within his followers. And certainly the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was, a, was an everlasting source of mercy for mankind. And through his blessed words and deeds, 
He shone an illuminating and everlasting light upon the magnificent teachings of Islam and demonstrated that serving mankind is an inherited and truly fundamental part of our faith. The Holy Quran states that those who protect and feed orphans and those who gain nearness of Allah, while as those who ignore their needs, are those who become the recipient of His wrath. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also re- repeatedly emphasized the importance of caring for orphans, supporting all weak and vulnerable members of society. And indeed, it is reported that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he once said that, Find me amongst the weak and poor. Surely you are provided for and helped only due to your support of the weak and deprived. And here the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he proclaims that he stands shoulder to shoulder with those who are weak and defenseless, and that if a person desires to attain his love and the love of Allah, then he should seek to help those who are helpless and who are the victims of misfortune. And in terms of giving generously to those in need, it is narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he once said that each day two angels descend, and one of them say that, O Allah, Grant even more to the one who spends in charity, and may there be many others who follow in his in his stead. And thereupon the other angel says that, O Allah, may he who withholds charity and is miserly be destroyed, and may all his wealth and riches come to an end. It is purely with this intention of being able to serve others that that uh, humanity first seeks to raise funds and having observed this spirit many non-Ahmadis and non-Muslims individuals groups have donated significant amount and placed their trust in humanity first and on one occasion while speaking about fulfilling the rise of mankind the promised Messiah peace be upon him the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community he said that the most peculiar and Artemis challenge is to fulfill the rise of mankind because this is a test and trial that one is faced with at all times and remains constantly before a prison. He says that therefore one ought to tread very carefully and be mindful when taking any step in this regard. The promised Messiah peace be upon him further stated that it is my firm conviction that even with one's enemy one should never act with undue severity. And finally, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he also said at another place, and I quote that to mankind, to love mankind and to show compassion to others in a, is an immense form of worship of God Almighty and an outstanding means of attaining his pleasure and rewards. So so with that, it gives us some food for thought um, and it shows us, uh, it highlights the fact that how important it actually is to to serve humanity yeah. and uh, how rewarding it is in the in the in the sight of Allah. Well, um, thanks for that. Um, I'm pleased to know that we've got Charlotte uh, Matthias uh, on the line. Um, she's the treasurer of the of the church. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Charlotte. Charlotte, can you hear me? So the screen is indicating that uh, a connection is being made and it's just dropped. 
Right, so it means that we have to fill the time in now. Uh, you and I, uh, Imam Dukir, because uh, we haven't been able to reach uh, Charlotte. I suppose, I mean, one thing that I, I, I also, I mean, you mentioned uh, um, the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran also uh, um, talks about um, the struggle, if necessary, for the protection of churches and cloisters, and uh, uh, even if it needs, uh, if it means the taking up of arms to defend their right and defend uh, the places of worship, doesn't it? Absolutely, that's mm. that's a very very uh, good verse that you've mentioned, mm. and uh, in fact, uh, you know, if we if we look at when this verse was revealed, it was at a time where Islam itself, you know, was was being attacked on all four corners and um, th- this was the time where uh, you know Muslims themselves they had to take up arms to defend themselves and when the verse was refi- revealed uh, it mentioned that uh, uh, you know y- your duty is not only to protect the mosques but also to protect the churches mm. cloisters and in fact, in this verse, if we read it, the mosques, the word mosques is mentioned last. And firstly, all other, you know, churches, synagogues, mm. they've been mentioned beforehand. So as as a Muslim, it is our duty to help one another. Mm. And uh, I, I suppose um, if, if we look at, uh, if we look at one of the verses of the Holy Quran, if we look at, Chapter 2, verse 84 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty, it instructs Muslims to speak kindly at all times and to be considerate of feelings of other people and to love and protect vulnerable members of society, such as orphan children um, or those living in poverty or destitution. So the verse, the verse, and the verses, and I quote that, and remember the time when we took a covenant from the children of Israel that you shall worship nothing but Allah and show kindness to parents and to be and to the kindred and orphans and the poor and speak to men kindly and observe prayer and pay the zakat then you turn away in aversion except a few of you and in another verse of the Holy Quran in chapter 51 uh, verse 20, the Holy Quran states that the hallmark of a true Muslim is that he should care for all of God's creation and should comfort and support those in need, whether they seek help or not. Hence, it is not enough for a Muslim to wait until someone asks for help. Rather, it is his duty to recognize the suffering of others and to make whatever sacrifices are required in order to help them overcome their challenges um, and uh, you know the, this this the chap this verse is in chapter uh, 51 verse 20 and it reads that and their wealth was a share for those who asked for help and for one who could not um, and this itself is such a beautiful verse uh, mm-hmm. as elaborated um, that uh, what it means is that not only it is our duty to help those who ask for help, but also those uh, members of the society that uh, do not ask for anything. It is our duty that we should go out and see who are those particular vulnerable people who need our help. 
um, and then we we should help them. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, that this is um, part and parcel of what the teachings of Islam are. And um, the previous tour that is Holiness, uh, when he went to USA, after USA, he also went to Guatemala to inaugurate the Nasser Hospital. And uh, this is what he mentioned in one of his addresses that the whole purpose of uh, building a hospital where the majority of the people are Christianity, uh, the sole purpose is to serve humanity. So, you know, that, mm. that hence that is why we're at a place where majority of the people in that country are Christians. Um, the Amdiya Muslim community is still at the forefront in building the hospital as one of the ethos, one of the main fundamentals of the uh, the community is to help those and serve the vulnerable members of the society. Mm. And this is exactly in line with the teachings of Islam. So uh, yeah. so, so, with that, Brother Walid, if we yeah. can maybe go to a short break. Okay. And uh, after the break, um, we'll go to the 8 o'clock news. Um, and after that, we'll, we have a short clip that we want our listeners to listen to as well. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. A new station, the voice of Islam. With live discussions, religion and culture, understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Selections from the writing of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Hearken ye who have ears to hear. What is it that Allah requires of you? Only that you should become his alone and set up no equal with him neither on this earth nor in heaven. Our God is the one who is alive today as much as he ever was. Likewise, he speaks today as he did in the past. He hears as he used to hear. To think that he only listens but does not speak in this age is a vain belief. Indeed, he both hears and speaks. All his attributes are eternal and everlasting. None of his attributes were ever suspended nor will they ever be. He is the same unique being who has no associate. He has neither son nor wife. And he is the same eternal being who is peerless, and there is none like unto him. There is no one similar to him in his attributes. None of his powers ever wane. He is near, yet far. Distant, yet close. He is the highest of the high, Yet it cannot be said that there is anyone below him farther than he. He is in heaven, but it cannot be said that he is not on earth. He combines in himself all the most perfect attributes and manifests the virtues which are truly worthy of praise. He is the fountainhead of all excellence. He is the all-powerful. Everything good originates from him, and to him all things return. All possessions belong to him. In him all excellences combine. He is free from blemish, without weakness. He is unique in his right to be worshipped by all who dwell on the earth or belong to heaven. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, God Almighty has divided his wonderful universe into three categories. First, 
the world which is manifest and can be conceived through the eyes and the ears and other sensory organs, directly or indirectly, with the help of instruments. Secondly, the world which is hidden and which can be understood through deductive reasoning and hypothesizing. Thirdly, the world which lies even farther than the hidden world, so hard to conceive and almost beyond the reach of imagination. Very few are those who are aware of its existence. That is an entirely obscure world which cannot be conceived through deduction, but is only imagined. One can have access to it only with the help of spiritual vision, or revelation, or word from God, and not by any other means. As is evident from the unchanging will of God, manifested in nature, one can safely deduce that as God has provided man with the apparatus to understand the first two categories of his creation mentioned above, similarly he must have provided man with the apparatus and instruments to conceive that world of his creation which is mentioned under the third category. And that apparatus, as we have already mentioned, comprises spiritual vision, revelation, and the word of God. This mode of communication can never be conceived to be inoperative or to have ceased altogether in any age. Nay, but those who fulfilled the prerequisite have always been gifted with this and will continue to be gifted with the same. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam. With the you are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Uh, peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam. It's uh, Friday, the 14th of October, 2022, and the time is just after two minutes past eight. Um, we were discussing this uh, topic about uh, the way that uh, the mosque helped raise money for a village church. Um, helping others, as Imam Toki has uh, explained before the break, is something that is uh, very intrinsic within the teachings of Islam uh, and something that the Amdi Muslim community is uh, very, um, uh, very much involved in. Um, it has engaged in numerous projects in order to further this obligation that it has uh, under uh, its uh, practice of uh, the teachings of Islam. And one of the ways that this is being expressed is the way that uh, the both the youth organizations and uh, the ladies' organizations within the communities are organized. Within that organization is a department called Khidmat Khalq. Specifically, it's called Khidmat Khalq, which literally, I suppose, loosely means uh, uh, service to, to humanity, service to others. And it is dedicated to uh, that particular uh, obligation that it feels it has to fulfill. And uh, uh, we were able to speak to Leila uh, Balabi, who is uh, a secretary who's in charge of uh, that particular department in France. And uh, this is what she had to say. Okay, so we are joined on the line today with Leila Belabi. She is from France and she's of Algerian origin, born in France near Paris. She has been a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community since 2010 and she has been in the National Secretary of Hidmat Halk with Lajnai Maila France since 2017. Um, in school um, and her career, she has two bachelors, one in educational sciences and one in Spanish languages and civilization. 
And regarding her profession, she did family mediation for several years in partnership with the family court judge. This involved finding amicable solutions to family conflicts and helping families overcome their difficulties. And then she was an executive in a town hall for 10 years and she took care of the associations of the city. She today has chosen to take care of her elderly parents. Aslam alaikum, welcome to the Voice of Islam Breakfast Show and thank you so much for joining us. Um, okay, so for the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us about Lajna Maila France, why it is important and about the 100 year centenary? Um, first, I would like to uh, thank you for your invitation. Uh, it's truly uh, an honor for me to be uh, on your show this morning uh, in Voice of Islam Breakfast, a show that uh, we know uh, very well here in France. Um, also, I would like to apologize in advance for my English. I am very sorry, my English is not very good, uh, but I will try to do my best, inshallah. Um, to answer your question, uh, there is a lot of things that I could say, uh, and I think that uh, only one program will not be enough to describe all that uh, the organization that uh, was created by the Muslim Ahud provide to us as Lajna. I will just give you uh, a few examples. First of all, concerning the history of the Lajna Imaila France, very briefly, the organization was created at the end of uh, 1981 and the beginning of 1982. At that time, there were 15 Lajna on their children. Today, by the grace of Allah, we, have, uh, we are 586 Lajna and 134 Nasirat. Your question is about uh, the importance of our organization and what does it bring to us. Lajnay Maila is a women's organization that is unique in the world. And it's truly a privilege to be part of it. You know, I'm not born Ahmadi. And I can say that Lajnay Maila uh, completely changed my life. It's an organization that brings you so many wonderful things. And I think that it's impossible to imagine it if you don't leave it. It brings you new sisters all over the world. Sisters who feel sincere love between them. Sisters who pray for each other like real sisters, all united, devoted, behind Huzur and ready to make any sacrifice for the cause of Allah. Also, it is an exceptional organization because it takes into account the woman as a whole, the woman as a daughter, as a mother, as a wife, also as a citizen. Each of these roles is valued, respected, important in a society where the place of women is neglected and where they would like to force us, to force us to be in this 
or that place. Also, Lajnai uh, Maila gives us the opportunity to be in the first position in the defense of Islam, as much as men, a place so coveted, unwanted by true believers. And mashallah, Ahmadi women hold this role wonderfully. They organize conferences, publish articles, make programs that they produce and record themselves. Now, um, regarding your question about the centenary of Lajnai Maïla in France, this celebration is felt really to be um, an important milestone. We are at a real turning point. Personally, I feel it like this. In recent years, activities have been multiplied, and women made many sacrifices, mashallah. Today, we are ready to pass the future 10 years making more sacrifice because we want to participate actively to the victory of Islam. It's our objective. Jazakallah, that was very interesting. And um, thank you so much. Your English is actually very good. And I think, yes, it truly gives us this sense of independence and strength, which is much more elevated than what we see in the West and without the shade of men like our Hazur has also said as well. Um, and as Hidmate Halak Secretary of Lajnai Maila in France, could you enlighten our listeners with some of the initiatives and achievements? Um, by the grace of Allah, in recent years, Lajnai Maila France has doubled her efforts to serve humanity. The Ahmadi women of France have been very active even despite the restriction of COVID, mashallah. Despite the difficulties, they have uh, not provided less work. On the contrary, we have adapted to the situation and we, have, uh, we made more efforts to fight the pandemic. For example, uh, Lajna uh, of France saved thousands of masks that they distributed to the neighbors, but also uh, to schools for pupils and charities and homeless and churches. Another uh, initiative that we made during COVID. Every year, we organize visits to the elderly in retirement homes. But uh, during the restriction, it was closed. So we decided in order not to leave uh, old people alone, to replace this visit with a correspondence action. We wrote them letters uh, to give them our support and take news and the nasihats, make them nice drawings and send them messages to encourage them. They were very happy and thanked us very much. Also, this year, we uh, launched several significant new uh, initiatives. One of them, which was particularly important for us, it is an initiative that we set up for the children of the uh, Darul Ikram orphanage in Bena, in partnership with Humanity First. Uh, this orphanage had the project to make a library for children. And uh, 
So uh, we went down hundreds of books for this project. This year, uh, we have also launched a program to build wells in Mali, in villages where there is no water. We have also launched a tree planting program in France to reforest the places where trees have been destroyed. We have also organized several food drives, hygiene kits to help the victim of the war in Ukraine. We also send them medicines and to help women with brick, uh, breast cancer in October this month. La Jeunesse Maïla France is now rallied in several cities and participate to charity works uh, in order to raise funds for research and also to help sick women in their daily lives. We started this initiative in the Halka des Yvelines near Paris four years ago. And this, this year, we, we have decided to deploy this initiative in all the Halkas uh, of France. And uh, uh, every year, La Maïla France raise funds for sexual children and hospital. And each year, mashallah, the amount of this uh, fund increase. Uh, these are uh, some of our uh, initiatives. Uh, there are also, uh, but uh, perhaps we haven't got uh, a lot of time to discuss of, of, of all these initiatives. Mashallah, women are very motivated. Jazakallah. Um, and what are some of the barriers and challenges to the work that you do? Being in France, where the hijab has been banned in certain spheres, do you therefore think as a consequence um, experience some hostility and how do you overcome this? Um, you know, effectively, wearing the hijab in France is not easy. Sometimes when you meet people to introduce yourself or organize an initiative, there is a mistrust and people are, uh, are not wrong. But uh, after presenting, presenting our message of peace and uh, all our initiatives in favor of humanity, people change. And uh, they become, uh, we, we, we become welcome. I have seen this many times. So we try to be pleasant, courteous, smiling. And finally, uh, the solution is only to practice the Islamic teachings. Um, also for my work on my responsibility, of course, Huzo's prayers help us a lot. Just uh, last week, after writing a letter to Huzur to facilitate an initiative, um, they were seeing things that happened and the situation was made easier. It's very uh, reassuring to uh, work like this, to have our Sada, who gives us a lot of time to advise us and help us in our work and to have Huzu to guide us and pray for us. We are very, very lucky. Yes, we are indeed. And um, why is it important that as Muslims we help not just our Muslim brothers and sisters, but those from other faiths and backgrounds? And how have you supported those from other faiths like Christians? You know, it's our goal as a Lajna to help people regardless of race of religion. Um, we work with churches and also with private Catholic schools. For example, when the mosque where some teams uh, of Khidmat al-Khalq went to offer them to Christians in church, 
in churches. Uh, also, to help the victim of the war in Ukraine, we offered our help to uh, to a Catholic school to organize food drives. And uh, after this work, they trust us, and uh, they decided to give us. Um, a big responsibility of managing a dressing room of clothes for the refugees inside the school itself. Jazakallah, thank you so much for all of your information and it sounds immense how much work you've been doing. Thank you so much and I wish you all the best in the future. Jazakallah. Jazakumallah. Right, so that was Leila Balabi, uh, secretary in charge of uh, serving humanity in France. Uh, more on this particular topic from uh, Imam Tokizari. Yes, thank you. So uh, um, I I'd just like to end with uh, with the two points, and uh, you know just the fact that if we look at the Holy Quran, uh, you know God Almighty addressing the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, uh, he says that in chapter twenty one verse one o eight that and we have sent thee, not but as a mercy for all of mankind. And this is something that has been, you know, that has been seen throughout the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, how he respected people of all faiths. And uh, just one example, uh, for example, how he showed affection to all people. Uh, there's a narration that once the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was sitting down when he immediately stood up as a sign of respect, as a mark of respect, uh, when he observed a funeral uh, which was passing by. And one of his companions who was sitting beside him asked him that why he stood up as uh, this person, uh, this deceased, was of a, of a Jewish person and not a Muslim person. And hearing this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he replied that, was he not a human? So this itself is a reflection of the love that Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had for the love of humanity. And, and in this age, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdi Muslim, he himself, he has said that the Sharia has two main areas, the rights of Allah and the rights of man. And the rights of Allah include his worship and not to ever worship anything else. And the rights of man... Uh, the promised Messiah said is to truly take care of people, causing them no pain whatsoever. And that is why the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he has said that he who does not thank people does not thank Allah. And the Holy Quran, it says in chapter 4, verse 37, And worship Allah and associate not with him, and show kindness to parents and to the kindred and orphans. And the needy, and to the neighbor that is a kinsman, and the neighbor that is a stranger, and the companion by your side, and the wayfarer, and those whom your right hand possesses. Surely Allah loves not the proud and the boastful. So here God has instructed uh, to fulfill the rights of neighbors and treat them with love and affection. And neighbor doesn't. It doesn't mean someone who lives next to you and the circle for neighbors according to the Holy Quran can be a person's colleagues, subordinates, travel companions and other people besides. And 
Indeed, the Holy Quran has repeatedly instructed Muslims to fulfill the rights of their neighbors and to treat them with the utmost affection. And uh, again, mentioning the neighbors, uh, that it is not just your neighbor who lives right next to you, but it is also those who live close to the mosque and also those who live close to homes of um, the Muslims. And rather, the circle of neighbors, according to the Holy Quran, spreads much further afield and includes a person's colleagues, subordinates, travel companions and many other people besides. And in essence, all the people of this city um, are our neighbours and it is our religious obligation to treat them with love, kindness and generosity. Um, and with that, uh, I'll conclude the Islamic perspective and I'll pass the mic on to uh, Brother Billy to start us off with the second segment. Right, thank you very much for that. Yes, the second segment, as mentioned, uh, the total program is going to be about Black History Month. Uh, this uh, month of the celebration or commemoration was started over 100 years ago in the United States as a way to uh, bring uh, black voices and stories to discussions of history. It was first recognized in the UK in the 1980s organized in October by Akiaba Adai Sebo to acknowledge 150 years of Caribbean freedom and the 100th birthday of Marcus Garvey. We celebrate, um, and this is uh, something that I'm sure we picked up from one of the uh, websites, it says that we celebrate uh, Black History Month because celebrating the achievements of people is important and black history is still underrepresented in mainstream history classes and books. Throughout the 150-year history of the British Red uh, Cross, we've had countless uh, kind and resilient volunteers work with us at the British Red Cross. These people are recognized for their kindness. We celebrate Black History Month by highlighting and recognizing the contributions of some black British humanitarians. So that's basically uh, the introduction to this particular topic, and we will be speaking um, to uh, one of our contributors, uh, Deepak Amdar, who is uh, a pharmacy course director and uh, inclusivity lead at the uh, University of Kingston uh, later on, I hope, uh, as soon as, in fact, uh, our uh, uh, technician engineer uh, puts him through, we'll be uh, uh, getting on with uh, quizzing him with uh, some information regarding this particular uh, issue. Yes, uh, so looking at the Islamic perspective on this uh, particular item, um, we see that uh, His Holiness, he has stated that uh, our response it lies in the righteous example of the noble Prophet, peace be upon him, who proclaimed in his farewell address that a black person is not superior to a white, white, nor is a white person superior to a black, and that an Arab is not superior to a non-Arab, and nor is a non-Arab superior to uh, an Arab. So, quoting this example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, highlighting that Islam itself teaches equality, um, and uh, no person uh, has the right to demand superiority over another person and that we are equal and that is why when even if you look at 
for example, when when Muslims pray, we stand all stand together side by side, and that itself symbolizes equality, as even a king can stand uh, next to a next to a servant. You could say, um, as uh, with at the time of prayer, it does not say that maybe such person should stand here or that person should stand there, but rather. Uh, we see that within Islam, it symbolizes that uh, equality, everyone is equal. And uh, furthermore, uh, His Holiness, he added that our response is guided by the Holy Quran, which is from the outset has commanded, commended, uh, co- condemned slavery and called for emancipation of those who have been subjugated and oppressed. And Allah's word has not Equal, equally laid down that all people are born equal and Hazrat Sayyidina Bilal may God Almighty be pleased with him who was born in an era during which uh, he was treated with contempt simply because he was a black man and his dark skin color was perceived as a symbol of dirt by his slave master yet due to his exemplary piety, faith and character, he was raised to the highest stations by the by the Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself, and he was nom- he nominated him to be the first person to call mankind towards prayer. So he was the muazzin, he was the caller for azan, and uh, this was the title which was given to him. And we see that uh, after 1400 years after so many years uh you know we those prominent companions who were who was with the holy prophet peace be upon him uh history remembers them and hazrat sayyidna bilal is one of them who was a black person yet uh within islamic literature um you know who everyone knows of his great character of uh, of his meekness of his faith um, and uh, you know this this was all the blessing of how he became a companion of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him so this itself highlights that Islam uh, it teaches equality in in all essence and one of the great religious tradition that makes us the cultural uh, mosaic of our world is Islam with over two billion followers it is the greatest religion in the world islam is a universal religion and therefore has adherence all over the world and being a religion for all people it is inherently tolerant of all of different traditions and the and the quran the holy book of islam and the word of god affirms that god has created all people and has divided them into different peoples and tribes and nevertheless, it tells us that there should be no discrimination because of this. And according to God, the best among you are those who are most righteous. And uh, this is from chapter 14, 49, verse 14. I'll read the whole verse of the Holy Quran as well. God Almighty says in the Holy Quran that, O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female, and we have made you tribes and sub-tribes that you may know one another and verily the most honorable amongst you in the sight of Allah 
is he who is the most righteous among you. Surely Allah is all-knowing, all-knowing and all-aware. Now here God Almighty, he, he says that Allah the Almighty, he, do, he looks at your righteousness and he does not look at your caste or the color of his, your skin. So whatever your class may be, Islam teaches to respect one another and in another place of the Holy Quran, God Almighty says that, O ye who believe, let not one people deride another people. Happily, they may be better than they. Nor let one people, nor one group of women deride other women. Happily, they may be better than they. And do not defame your people or call one another by nicknames. It is an evil to be called by bad name after having believed. And those who repent not, such are the wrongdoers. So Islam teaches that God has sent prophets amongst all the people of the world and that amongst these prophets he sent religious books to guide them and these prophets brought about great revolutions in the world and today uh, the moral compass of the world is, is to a great extent guided by the teachings that these luminary figures preached and practiced and even if we look at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, as we quoted the example of Sayyidina Hazrat Bilal, may God Almighty be pleased with him. Uh, there were also uh, slaves and they were very vulnerable at that time and it was a custom to abuse these people. Their rights were taken from them and they were tortured. And so it was very prevalent at that time. So, and however, in contrast, if we look at it in Islam, not only did it encourage that you should free these slaves, but also to uplift the status of these people. And this is what we find in the Holy Quran. If we read chapter 90, verse 13 and 14, where God Almighty says, Azbillam Nishaton Rajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Wa ma adraka mal akaba fakkur akaba. And the meaning here is that the translation is that. O Messenger, are you aware of a religious precept which may be linked to a great ascension upon a mountain by which a person is able to climb to the heights of divine nearness? If you are unaware, then we tell you that it is the freeing of a slave. So here in the Holy Quran it says that this is of great importance and a great uh, way of naming, of achieving the nearness heights of God Almighty and that was to free a slave. So to free a slave you would be actually gaining the pleasure of Allah the Almighty and this is what we find again um, in chapter 2 verse 178 where God Almighty says um, in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful that True virtue is the estimation of God, is that an individual believes in God, spends in his cause for love of him, and on the kindred and the orphan and the needy and the wayfarer, and for freeing slaves. So this verse, it explains the true virtues of God in it, and it mentions the freeing of slaves. And also uh, quoting from one of the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, on this issue he says at one place 
that uh, Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would say often that such a Muslim who frees a slave would be granted complete salvation by Allah, the exalted from hell. So, as I mentioned before, that not only did Islam free slaves at that time, but rather they were educated, they were respected, honored so much so that they became valuable assets of the community. And on many occasions, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he he, he encouraged the companions that they should free slaves. Um, and also it is narrated that Zaid bin Haris, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, and his son Usama, uh, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, uh, they were also appointed as the commander of many, many military campaigns and mainly highly respected and prominent companions were under them and uh, they they were also um, of African um, ethnicity and yet the Holy Prophet peace be upon him you know he showed them great respect and uh, you know appointed them uh, on many of the military campaigns so when once the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was questioned as to why Hazrat Zaid bin Haris, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, why why they were they were appointed him and his son, and to this the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, he gave a very beautiful reply, and he said that you have been objected to the appointment of Osama as a commander, and prior to this you have also objected to the leadership of his father. As a Zed, may Allah be may Allah be pleased with him. By God, just as Zed was worthy and capable of leadership, and was among my most beloved, so too Osama is worthy of leadership and among my most beloved. So from this example, beautiful example, it shows that even when someone questioned the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, that why he has appointed Osama, may Allah be pleased with him as a commander. And uh, also, they have questioned the leadership of his father, Zaid, peace be upon him, uh, that it, it, it is very wrong as these two beloved individuals, uh, they have the caliber uh, and they are capable of leadership and they too are very beloved to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So a very beautiful answer that uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave in response to this. Uh, so so uh, with that, we're just, um, I think, I believe we are waiting for our uh, guest. Uh, yes. Is, is there any anything, uh, Brother Walid, you wanted to mention on this? No, no, I just wanted to endorse what you were saying about um, the way that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, <coughs> made um, um, one's um, fear of God or taqwa, righteousness, as a cornerstone of assessing uh, an individual's caliber rather than their ethnicity or uh, their, um, their station um, in life otherwise. Um, so even those people that um, grew up as, um, as uh, slaves uh, were, were given due regard uh, because of uh, their, their conduct and elevated to places uh, to to 
um, positions of uh, authority, like you've mentioned with Bilal and when you mentioned with uh, Hazrat Zahid. I also remember <coughs> Hazrat Suheb as well, uh, who was um, uh, Hazrat Suheb, I think Rumi was his full name because he had grown up or spent a lot of time in the Roman Empire and <coughs> was a slave. And um, he also, uh, because of his uh, skills, his ability, was able to, to rise. And Hazrat um, Umar actually appointed him as uh, the one to lead the prayers. Uh, this is when Hazrat uh, Umar was fatally wounded uh, and had appointed a, um, a group of companions, six, some six companions, to decide this successorship. But Suhaib was appointed as the person who was going to uh, lead uh, the prayers uh, during this period until a new Khalifa was appointed. So this also shows, you know, this is another example of how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, um, ensured that his uh, companions understood that uh, um, the uh, value of a person or the metal of a person does not lie in his ethnicity or his... uh, uh, where he is in in all his social standing, but it, in in his righteousness, and it is on that basis that people are um, then given authority or not otherwise. So it's a it's a it's a, it's a point that has been well made. <coughs> and the other thing is that I was discussing this um, in uh, another show of um, the um, Voice of Islam and. Uh, what uh, one listener was quite uh, amazed was the fact that uh, we need to emphasize that this teaching of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that um, no Arab is superior to a non-Arab and uh, no black person is superior to a white person or the other way around is a teaching that was being uh, promoted 1400 years ago and was well ahead of its time. And uh, even now, in recent times, this uh, was not being recognized as such. We had um, the uh, apartheid that was practiced in South Africa. We had uh, the uh, civil rights uh, movement that uh, basically was something that rose against uh, such discrimination in America in the 60s. So it is only now that uh, we have come to realize the importance of this teaching uh, in the non-Islamic world, whereas Islam was promoting it 1,400 years ago, and that's something that is, uh, um, is something that is very important to to understand. I mean, I grew up. Uh, I was born in uh, in Kenya. Kenya was a colony of the British. Mm. And um, my grandfather, who was uh, there a lot earlier, used to tell us about uh, this discrimination that was quite um, rampant in colonial times. And he used to tell us about uh, how jobs, for instance, were advertised. And uh, when they were advertised and pay rates were mentioned, then different pay rates were mentioned for Europeans, a different pay rate, a lower pay rate for Asians, and a much lower pay rate for Africans. 
and uh, he said that uh, we were told to rash to to understand this was rational because uh, the Europeans had more needs. So that's why for the same work, they deserved a bigger pay than uh, Asians who had lesser needs and needs, and the uh, Africans had the least needs because uh, and that's why their pay was uh, the lowest of all. So this was discrimination on uh, on ethnicity uh, and it was something that was uh, practice not good to say but by us the british uh, in colonial times uh, and was something that was uh, found to be acceptable and that's in the 60s in the 40s in the 50s uh, and it's only now that we find this to be an abhorrent practice that we used to be enacted in those times. So it just goes to show, and this is important, that uh, Islam was very much ahead of its times when it talked about uh, equality and talked about racial um, and social equality in the terms that it did. So that's uh, uh, something that I felt was important to add uh, and significant. Um, I, d- I do believe we have our guest with us. We are joined uh, by Deepa Kamdaran. She is a pharmacy course director and inclusivity lead, working also as a pharmacy teaching at uh, Uni- Kingston University. So thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. So, I, firstly, I wanted to ask you, what is your role as the inclusivity lead for pharmacy at Kingston and how do you achieve being as inclusive as possible? Okay, so I was appointed in this role about uh, just over a year ago. Um, I'm sure you've had, like, in the, in the media, um, you know, there's a lot of drive about trying to be more inclusive and the whole equality, inclusive, inclusivity, diversity drive. Um, but as my role as inclusivity lead for pharmacy, I'm looking at trying to make the pharmacy curriculum more inclusive, both in terms of its content and accessibility. And second, second point is that I'm trying to make the department itself more inclusive as well, um, for a more inclusive environment for both students and staff. So trying to foster that sense of belonging for both. Um, in terms of how to achieve the inclusivity, so that's always going to be a work in progress. Um, but you know, we've made great strides over the last um, year or so. Um, so I've introduced a health inequalities workshop for some of our students. Um, and during this session, it gives students, students a chance to use their voice um, to talk about some of the health inequalities that you know, have been really brought to the forefront with the pandemic that we've experienced as well. Um, done an uh, introductory session for staff. Um, again, you know, there are so many things out there now, uh, race, uh, gender, age, disability. So, you know, organising kind of introductory sessions for staff and um, hopefully in the future for students just to introduce them to the concepts of EDI. Um, other things we've done to try and make uh, the pharmacy curriculum more inclusive is looking at, for example, different conditions um, and how they present differently in different races. Um, so looking at skin conditions, for example. And we've also made use of a uh, our university. We've got this um, central inclusivity uh, curriculum consultant program 
where it's a collaborative student staff um, um, and we've enlisted them to look at some of our modules to try and make them more accessible and more inclusive. Um, and generally, at Kingston University, we've got a very kind of diverse student body, and especially in the pharmacy program, it's you know majority are actually made up of ethnic minorities rather than let's say white students, and it's reflected in our diverse pharmacy staff as well, where again the ethnic minority um, staff are actually the majority in our department. Great. Um, so. You know, just one more question uh, on my side. Uh, I mean, you did mention race inclusivity. Um, mm -hmm. So for your university, how have you included this? If you could just elaborate on that. Yes, of course I can. Um, so I can break that down again to two parts. So on my side for the pharmacy um, department, again, as I said, I think I mentioned previously, we're trying to incorporate a more inclusive curriculum. So... We're looking at things like maternal health inequalities. Again, it's been in the media about how um, you know m mothers or patients um, from ethnic minorities have kind of worse outcomes compared to uh, white patients. Um, we're looking at skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, and how they present differently in darker coloured skin, for example. And you know that can delay diagnosis because. A lot of the textbooks we use at university and just, you know, generally in the country are very European-based and based on um, a subset of white patients. And the data we get from trials and things are from white subjects, again. And we know that some of these like values in blood tests, for example, are very different for different races. Um, and in terms of the university in general, so we're actually, we've actually won the Race Equality Charter Award um, at bronze level. And that was a few years ago, but um, this shows that the university is, is committed to um, <clears throat> sorry. This shows the university is committed to you know w working on race, and we're always engaged to try and um, you know we're always trying to engage with students and with staff to, to obtain the student race equality. Um, as a university, we're also trying to work on reducing this uh, you know degree awarding gap. That, that can um, happen with many of the courses that are available. And again, centrally, we've also got a lot of these uh, equality, diversity, inclusion sessions for staff as well, including things like anti-racism workshops, um, which I'm actually attending one of those uh, next week. So a lot of, a lot of um, things are going on university-wide and in pharmacy mm -hmm. course itself. Great, uh, fantastic stuff. Um, so I'm just going to pass the mic on now. Uh, Brother Walid, he has uh, some more questions to ask you. Yes, good, sure. good, uh, good morning, uh, uh, Deepa. I mean, uh, what are, can you describe some of the challenges for black people at the uh, university and how they've been overcome? Oh, yes, of course. So, um, so the main challenge for black students is probably that degree awarding gap that I've just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And also we found lower progression rates for black students. Now, generally for the course that I run at Kingston, which is pharmacy, we've never actually had much of a significant gap between ethnicities um, pre-pandemic. And even during the pandemic, um, you know, when, when we were online teaching. But what we've noticed post-pandemic is there has been actually an increased degree awarding gap. Now, we've gener it's generally classed as what we call BAME, which is the Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic um, population, but actually, if we break down that data, 
the award gap is actually positive for Asian or students that we class as other, um, and the gap is negative for black students. So that's where that that's where that um, figure is coming from, and basically that national trend of the pandemic adversely affecting black people is reflected in the data that we're seeing at university level as well. Mm-hmm. Now, for the for the pharmacy course itself, we noticed that there was a differential ability in the application of knowledge and decision-making skills. Um, and that's based on one of the high-stakes kind of clinical uh, and practical examinations that we administer in, in the pharmacy course. So to try and challenge this, we... We've been in discussion with the central university team um, and we've put in place extra workshops for critical thinking um, and kind of, you know, extra revision sessions and preparation sessions for these students. Now, overall at the university, they're trying to reduce this awarding gap by introducing this inclusive curriculum framework, which is basically where your course reflects the learning experience of a diverse student body and makes it more accessible to them. Um, and overall, working to kind of create a whole institution culture of inclusivity across the courses. And we've got lots of research projects going on in the sector as well. Mm. Um, we've also got several schemes that are going on um, to try and help students. So one is kind of a general scheme um, for students that are traditionally underrepresented, which includes black students, which is a Beyond Barriers student mentoring scheme which pairs kind of industry professionals with students um, and that gives them a better opportunity to succeed regardless of their background. Um, And it just helps increase that professional and personal development uh, and try and improve their career prospects. And the other programme that um, your university offers is called Elevate, which is designed specifically to help black students um, with support and guidance and tools to try and help achieve their potential. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the the general um, things in a nutshell, basically, of what we're trying to do. Yes, I I just wanted to understand this degree award gap better. Um, Are you saying that black students uh, do not come onto the course uh, as much, or are you saying that those who do come onto the course do not actually succeed in completing the course? Oh, right, yes. Um, So the degree awarding gap is basically... Uh, what we class as a good degree is getting a, an upper class, a first class honours or an upper second class honours. Um, and we found that actually white students, Asian students and students that class themselves as other actually get um, actually get more, a percent, the higher percentage of those get those degrees compared to black students. So at the moment in pharmacy course, we've got about seven, a negative 7% gap. Um, oh. So black students are less likely to get these so-called good degrees uh, compared to other races. Um, I'm not sure about the figures across the university, but I know for some courses it might be higher and for other courses it might be lower. So we're actually kind of probably in the middle uh, with pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about in- inclusivity, are you also concerned about ageism and uh, having, uh, uh, I suppose, more mature students? Yeah, so inclusivity incorporates, it's just an umbrella term, so it incorporates, it incorporates age, it incorporates disability, uh, all those kind of protected characteristics that have come under the Equality Act. Right, and um, how is the university celebrating Black History Month, keeping in mind this year's theme is Time for Change, Action, Not Words? 
So yeah, Black History Month actually marks two years since the beginning of that black, of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so this year, the universities asked the general community to showcase um, their knowledge, their talent, and stories that we have at Kingston University. So they've held a range of events over the months, and they're still ongoing. Um, this includes things like talks, uh, keynote speakers, and lightning talks. So we've got ex Kingston graduates. Um, for example, we've got a CEO who's on, on the 30 under 30 list coming to talk. We've got a playwright. Um, we've got black science students uh, coming to talk about um, you know, scientists. Um, we've got workshops going on. So at the end of the month, we have a festival of learning. And again, in, in that particular work, this all-day kind of workshop festival, uh, we're going to be focusing on um, talks about reducing that degree gap. And there's also performances going on and a lot of art work as well. Um, and, you know, as you said, the theme is showing us that words are never enough if we don't follow it with action. So the, the, Black, um, you know, the Black History Month draws attention to what's ignored in societies that may have marginalised black people. So we think it's really important at the university to, to try and highlight, highlight this. And... As I said, at, at, at Kingston, we do have a very rich and diverse population. Wonderful. Thanks very much, uh, Deepaka Kamdar, inclusivity lead at the University of Kingston. Thank you very much for coming on to the Voice of Salam and speaking to us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Pleasure. <clears throat> Right, um, that brings us, uh, I think, near the conclusion of this particular broadcast. Uh, leaves us to thank those people who have been involved in it. Um, so let's start with the producer, Malia Abdullah. She's deserving of her thanks for the preparation of the, uh, uh, the program uh, details, uh, as is uh, her researchers, uh, Sayyida Hana uh, Saud, Salia Bakhtiar, and Neha. So all deserving of our thanks and gratitude for, for the preparation uh, of this uh, broadcast, as is Mohammed Shafiq, who made sure that everything in the control room uh, went smoothly technical-wise. Uh, and uh, we must not forget our uh, contributors, uh, young Rayan uh, uh, Ahmed Safir, who uh, took part not for the first time, I understand, uh, in um, this charity run that uh, helped to raise money for the village church. Um, Reverend Neil Fairlam was also with us. We talked about uh, his church that uh, was assisted um, by this particular initiative uh, by the Amdi Muslim Youth Association uh, in uh, raising funds to repair, help repair the uh, roof of the church that uh, was damaged. Uh, this was the All Saints in Alford, in Tilford. So um, thank you to them. And uh, we also heard uh, Leila Balabi, who spoke about uh, her role as uh, Secretary um, Service to Humanity. Khidmat al is the correct term. Uh, um, that uh, she's uh, is uh, responsible for in France and the way that the youth, uh, that the ladies are uh, fulfilling um, this obligation that uh, Islam has set for them um, in, in that country. And then um, we spoke to Deepa Kamdar just a few minutes ago. We finished with her uh, regarding inclusivity and uh, uh, what, how she tries to 
uh, fulfilled that particular role at the University of Kingston. Um, so this was uh, when we were discussing the second of our main uh, topics, which is the Black History Month. Um, so that uh, is as far as thank yous are concerned. And what I must not forget is thank, thanking all the listeners for joining in. Uh, there will be a short break, uh, a short interlude. After that, we will have news. So until then, as-salamu alaykum from us both. And uh, until we meet again on The Breakfast Show, 7 to 9, Monday to Friday. As-salamu alaykum. <laughs>